sorry, my hair is hitting my mic. Um, virtual, on, like church is not for the faint of heart when you have two two-year-olds and a five-year-old. At one point, I think it was last week, I was like, Connor, just make sure it doesn't go unmuted because I was like, sit down, stop touching the computer. So I was uh, the faint of heart <laughs> for sure. Um, but it is really just a joy to be back uh, with you all. As Dennis said, uh, we're going to be looking at Exodus 24 this morning, and we're going to jump right in actually, um, starting at verse 1. So I'll read the passage if you would like to follow along. Uh, Exodus 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and you shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to all the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord have spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings, offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half, the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of, the, of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment, which I have written for your instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders, he said, wait here for us until we return to you, and behold, Aaron and Ur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let them approach them. Then Moses went up the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, what an honor it is to be in your presence and in your word together in person this morning. We recognize that you are here, God, and so may you attune our minds and hearts to what you want us to hear today. May it transform us. And God, I ask that you would use me as a vessel for your grace and truth, and if there is anything unclean in me, God, take it away so that we can experience who you are through your living and breathing word. Amen. <clears throat> 
So fire is something that most of us enjoy at a distance, right? Uh, But if we come close to fire, it's a little scary. It could be out of control or too close, uh, unless you're a pyromaniac, which then you maybe feel otherwise. And I remember in middle school, actually, thinking, like, it was super cool to put your finger through a flame on a candle, like, oh, I'm really brave, right? Um, But fire helps us. We can keep warm by a fire. We can prepare food on a fire. When the power goes out, what do we do? We light candles, right? Praise God for electricity, honestly. I'm like, I don't know where my candles are when the power goes out. But the minute fire becomes unmanageable or unpredictable, it no longer feels safe or helpful. Like a wildfire or a house fire. This morning, we're going to focus primarily on God as a consuming fire (laughs) from Exodus 24. And as we look at God as a consuming fire, we're going to look at three things and answer three questions. What does it mean for God to be a consuming fire? How is his grace shown in a consuming fire? And what does it mean for us today? So first, what does it mean for God to be a consuming fire? Scripture refers directly to God as a consuming fire. Those words specifically or describing specifically God as a consuming fire about seven times in Scripture, right? Fire is talked a lot in Scripture, but these words specifically are listed seven times, like in Deuteronomy 24 verse 4. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. Or 2 Samuel 22.9, which is the same as Psalm 18.8. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Isaiah 33.14. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with the consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? And Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God as an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I remember last year, Connor came home from a walk with the dog and he busted through the door and yelled up the stairs, Amanda, there's a house on fire by Horace Mann, which is an abandoned school in our neighborhood. And he slams the door and runs back out. And I was like, oh, it's, it's got to be pretty bad. So I gather up my three kids, and we go out to the baseball field that's by Horace Mann. And I look across the field, and I just see this house engulfed in flames. Now, thankfully, there was no one in the house that day. Uh, so no one was harmed. But it took about an hour for the firemen to put the fire out, to contain it. And it was an 11-station call, which means 11 stations from across the city were called because they were nervous that the fire would spread down the block. Thankfully, it didn't spread, right? And there was no more damage. But I drive past this house, walk past it daily, and you can see the wreckage. (laughs) That occurred. 
fire uncontained brings wreckage and consumes everything inside of it. And in every one of these passages that we just highlighted, it compares God to, illustrates him as, or states that he is a consuming fire. And it points to his judgment. He's depicted like a monster (laughs) with smoke and flames coming out of his nose or an arm that's on fire coming down on all mankind. He's like a villain in a Marvel movie that you're terrified of. Now, I want to pause here and say that I'm sorry. I actually am sorry if this has been the picture, the only picture that has been painted of God as judge and his fiery judgment. Because if that's been emphasized for you in ways that his love, grace, and mercy haven't, and you've been harmed by church leaders or family members who only speak of God's judgment or the types of people he judges or how he's going to judge people, and those comments may have been directed toward you or people you love. But that's not the full story of who God is. That's not the whole truth the whole picture of who he is. And I want to remind you of something Pastor Dennis said about two weeks ago, that God always leads with grace, love, and mercy. He is slow to anger and rich in mercy. He always offers salvation first. He always rescues and redeems first. When we look at Exodus 24 in the context, the full story of the whole book of Exodus, we see that God offered grace first, even to Pharaoh and all of Egypt. And he offered it again and again, 11 opportunities of grace he gave Pharaoh in Egypt before he brought Egypt to ruin. And it might be difficult or triggering language, this idea of judgment. But in the book of Exodus, we do see God's judgment. It is real. God judged Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. But it was after Pharaoh had created this lie, this false narrative that was driven by fear and pride about the Israelite people thinking that they were going to overthrow him. And he used this lie to justify enslaving them. Pharaoh again and again sought to destroy the entire nation of Israel and was unwilling to change. And despite all of this, God still offered grace first, 11 times. And yet Pharaoh and Egypt refused And as a result, God's judgment came down on Pharaoh in Egypt, similar to consuming fire, where Egypt laid desolate, destroyed, and ruined. God is a consuming fire. 
but he is not a God that just rages out of control against people that he doesn't like. He's not us, <laughs> okay? And while it's an uncomfortable biblical and theological reality, knowing that his judgment is real, we also see that his judgment is just. He judges those who stand against him, who practice evil, oppression, wickedness, injustice. His judgment doesn't contradict his character. He is just and good in his judgment. And it's actually worth mentioning in the book of Isaiah, the prophet points to a time when Egypt will turn back to God. In Isaiah 19:22, it says, and the Lord will strike Egypt with a plague. He will strike them, but heal them. And they will turn to the Lord and he will hear their prayers and heal them. God offers grace. Then he judges. And then he offers more grace. God is a consuming fire and he does judge and he will judge. But it's preceded by countless, countless opportunities of grace, mercy, and salvation. Which brings us to our second question. How do we see God's grace in his consuming fire. Exodus chapter 24, verses 16 through 18 say, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So to the people of God, God's glory resting on Mount Sinai looks like a consuming fire. And Moses goes in. And guess what? He's not consumed. He's not consumed. At the beginning of chapter 24, it says that only Moses would be able to come near to the Lord. And the people would not be able to go with him. So Moses then goes to the people and recounts all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And I'm sure all the words of the Lord meant what Moses has been repeating to the people of Israel several times now, that it's God who saved you, God has provided for you, and you are to follow his law out of reverence and love for God. And the people agree in one accord, and then Moses writes down what he had just said as a reminder for the people. In verse 4, it says, Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, the twelve pillars of the tribes of Israel. And then he sends out young men of Israel to gather burnt offerings and peace offerings for the Lord. These offerings, this burnt offering and peace offering, are significant. You see, most offerings were a portion of the animal. They would gather what portion they needed and then take to the Levite priests whatever else they didn't need and the Levite priests would do what they were instructed to do, whether eat it, dispose of it, whatever. But a burnt offering is a complete offering. 
the entire animal is consumed by fire. There's not one part of the animal that is saved. All is sacrificed. The whole animal fully surrendered and consumed by fire. A peace offering is only the inward parts of the animal. Interesting. An animal fully surrendered and inward parts that offer peace. Maybe this points to what God is wanting to offer Israel. If they fully surrender to him, he will be their peace. Sound familiar? And the covenant that God is ratifying, meaning validating, making official, it has to be made through sacrifice because man has sinned and God is holy. And in order for them to have fellowship in this new covenant, they have to attain friendship and atonement through sacrifice. So then Moses sprinkles the blood on the altar and reads the book of the covenant to the people. And they again reply, all the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. Verse 8 says, so Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. These words sound familiar, almost as if Jesus had said something similar. Because he does. In Matthew 26, verse 28, when he's eating the Last Supper with his disciples, he takes the cup of wine and said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. His disciples would have recognized these words from Exodus, and they would have been taken back to when Moses is having the burnt offering and peace offering and sprinkling the blood on the people. Because Jesus is saying, I am the burnt offering, the final offering for the atonement of sins. He will be fully consumed for the sake of others. So at this point in Exodus 24, God reminded his people of all he had done and is asking for their full commitment, full surrender, so that he may be their God. Moses then goes up with Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, and 70 elders, and they see God. The God they were supposed to stay away from. The God who is so holy it would kill them to see him. And yet they see him, and he doesn't stretch his arm out to stop them. He eats with them. They had communion with him. God's grace is evident. Let's take a minute to just take this in, that they saw and ate with God. Right? He, the God that we serve is a God who wants to be known. And he wants to be in relationship with his people. And we've seen this unfold throughout Exodus, where he meets his people in personal and intimate ways. When he speaks his name to Moses. 
Or when Pastor Shaq talked about in Exodus 23 last week that he sends an angel. In essence, Jesus to walk and lead his people to the promised land. God is not far off. He is not distant. He is not aloof. He's not cold and unknowable. He wants to be known. And sure, he is a holy God, and his holiness is burning like a consuming fire, but he also sits with his people and invites them to eat with him and know him. God is near to his people. Wow, he is a good God. So then God calls Moses further up the mountain so that he can give him the tablets of the Ten Commandments and further instruction. So Moses leaves, um, and he goes up. And this is where we come back to verses 16 through 18, where it says, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and to the people of Israel his glory looked like a consuming fire, and Moses entered it. (sighs) Guys... Moses first encountered the glory of the Lord through a burning bush, a bush that was on fire but not consumed. And then he enters into the presence of the glory of the Lord, and he is not consumed. Now, this does not, his grace does not remove his judgment that we talked about a little bit ago. But he can be filled with grace and judgment simultaneously. He's not one without the other because, remember, his judgment is just and good. And he is full of grace. They don't contradict each other. Adam Grant, uh, the author of Think Again, it's a good book if you haven't read it. Honestly, I've read half of it, so can't actually completely... (laughs) Say it's a great book in all transparency. But what I've read is really good so far. But he tells this story at the opening of the book. And I think it's a good illustration of God's grace within a consuming fire. In August of 1949, 15 smoke jumpers, which are a group of elite wildland firefighters, were dropped in Montana at the top of Man Gulch to extinguish a forest fire that had started the prior day because of lightning. And in a matter of minutes, they were racing for their own lives. When they arrived, they had actually planned to dig a line around the fire to contain it and redirect it to a portion of the forest that wouldn't inflame. But after hiking down the gulch about a quarter of a mile, the foreman of the group saw that the fire had leapt the gulch and was headed straight towards them. And the flames were about 30 feet high, and the fire was spreading two lengths of a football field in in less than a minute. So containing the fire was off the table at this point. And they had to turn back and run up the slope they had just run down, which was a steep incline. The fire would inevitably catch them, but they're running for their lives. So 
the foreman does something that no well-trained or right-minded firefighter would do. He lights a fire in front of them. So now they have a fire directly behind them and one in front of them. But he was building an escape fire. And Grant says this, by burning the grass ahead of him, he cleared the area of fuel for the wildfire to feed on. By clearing the grass ahead of him, he cleared the area of fuel for the fire, wildfire to feed on. The foreman then poured water on his handkerchief and put it to his mouth and laid on the ground so he could get oxygen from the ground. And the wildfire surrounded him for 15 minutes. No one else joined him that day, uh, and he did survive. Two others were able to outrun the wildfire and survive, but 12 men died. God's judgment will come like a consuming fire. Yet, his consuming fire, his glory, is what offers us grace and protection. The foreman was in the fire, yet not consumed, because everything that could have consumed him was already stripped away, was already sacrificed. Do you see it? It's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Everything that could consume us, all of our sin, is gone because of his ultimate sacrifice. So maybe, just maybe, what this means for us today is that we can experience the glory of God and not be destroyed or consumed. God's glory now rests not on a mountain or a bush, but in you because of Christ in you. Y'all, do you remember Pentecost, right? Acts 2, 3 says, at Pentecost, there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves and rested on each one of them. The gift of the Holy Spirit came because of Jesus' sacrifice, right? And you are God's burning bush, one that is on fire yet not consumed. Tim Keller said this, in the Old Testament, when God's presence, his royal raw Shekinah glory presence shows up, it shows up as fire. You remember, of course, when he appears to Moses in the burning bush, he appears as fire and says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. When God comes down on Mount Sinai to make his covenant with his people, it's fire. There's fire and smoke, the power of God, the glory of God. And on the day of Pentecost, every Christian believer now is a burning bush. Every Christian believer is in Mount Sinai. The fiery power, the glory of God, the power of God comes down into every believer. You see, Jesus was the final burnt offering, the peace offering. And he is the one that entered into the presence of God like Moses and said, it is finished. So that you can be like Aaron Nadab, Abihu, and the 70 elders, and commune with God now and forever. Hebrews 12, 18 through 29 says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, 
or to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them. But you have come to Mount Sinai and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem and to the marauds of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. We can now approach God because of Jesus' sacrifice. You can be a part of his community, his family, only because of his sacrifice. God and the things of God are no longer untouchable. They will no longer burn or destroy you. It's no longer darkness and gloom because of Jesus. Picking back up, it says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, and now he has promised, saying, yet once more I will, not sh I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We are now covered in grace because of Jesus so we can enter into the presence of God. But for those who have not listened to God's warning, his judgment holds true. He will come and not just shake, but overthrow all of creation who does not heed him as God. However, those things that are in his kingdom cannot be shaken or overthrown. Praise Jesus. So the author of Hebrew says because we are part of this unshakable kingdom, we are to do two things. One, show gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. For this is, the will, is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In everything give thanks. This is God's will for you. <laughs> show gratitude. Second, this gratitude is shown through offering service with reverence and awe. Our offering is no longer animal sacrifices because Jesus was that ultimate and final sacrifice. But it is now a life offered to God. Fully recognizing and remembering that he is God and we are not. That he is holy and we are not. That he is all powerful and we are not. He is the one who saved his people from Egypt, parted the Red Sea, provided bread from heaven, and whose glory is that of a consuming fire. And he continues to save, provide, do miraculous signs around us, and bring his glory to earth in and through us. He deserves all of our service because he is God. And recognition that it is because of God's mercy. It is because of his mercy that we are not consumed. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, oh, you are a good and gracious and just God. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of your son so that we can enter into your presence and not be consumed. We ask that your glory would rest upon us today, that we would feel the weight of your glory in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.